Psalm 100 are psalms that actually affirm or promote Yahweh's rule among over, over all the earth. In fact, Psalm 93 to Psalm 100 are proclaimed or thought of as kingship psalms. Psalms that promote Christ or God, or God really as king over all the earth. And this back, the background of this psalm is fascinating. If you look at, if, you don't have to turn there, but if you would just make a note, maybe if you're taking notes, 1 Chronicles 16, 23 and following, this exact psalm, almost the whole exact thing is there in 1 Chronicles 16. What had happened is David was the king. He had just defeated uh, the Philistines. There was a great victory over them, and, and David is there proclaiming how great God is. And one of the things David says to do, and God wants him to do, is to bring the Ark of the Covenant back into Jerusalem. And the Ark would actually wind up being in the temple, and it would go into the, holy, the holiest place. And it would actually kind of represent God's rule and kingship, but it would also represent the area of His presence. And when they bring this Ark back to Jerusalem, David says to the people there, he says to the ministers and the Levites, he says, we should invoke thanks and praise to the Lord. David tells them, write a new song so that Asaph, who wrote many of the Psalms, write a, uh, write a new song so they can actually sing it. And this Psalm is what they wrote. And this is what they sang as a rejoicing that the ark had come back to Jerusalem, that God's kingship actually and the understanding of his presence is back in Jerusalem. And David, as king, was there on the throne ruling and following God. And this beautiful psalm there you can find in First Chronicles 16, it's a beautiful picture of God's kingship over all things. But I want to look at three things today in this psalm. I want to look at three things that we're going to see kind of themes throughout this psalm. We're going to look at the three, these three, three things. Praise, uh, these are three applications for us. First, we, need to, we want to see praising God or the praise for God for His greatness over the entire earth. Second, we're going to look at proclaiming God and His salvation to everyone. And third, we're going to look at preparing for God and His judgment over everything. And we're going to walk through this psalm and look at that. And so we're going to actually jump around a little bit in here, but I think you'll see this throughout the psalm. When you look at it, initially, you're going to see, first of all, in this psalm, right away in verses 1 and 2, that we should praise God for His greatness over the entire earth. I mean, and when you look in verse 1 and 2, it says, Sing to the Lord. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord, bless His name. Tell of His salvation from day to day. Singers are people that are not just consumers. When we consume, we get something and use it. Singers are actually producing something. We're saying something and producing something. When we think about the economy, we think about consumers versus producers. We actually, as singers of, the, of what God has told us to sing, we're actually producing something. What we're producing is praise. We're actually producing uh, worship to God. And he tells us here in verse 1 and 2, sing a new song, sing to the Lord, bless His name. You know, throughout history, Israel and the church and all the time there, there's been a, a, an emphasis on singing and praising God. The church has been a singing church. We sang just a moment ago, as I, when I finish, we'll sing another song. 
Probably, hopefully this week, even we're, we have so much technology, you can fill your mind or even the radio with songs that praise God. We are singing people. But notice uh, here we're told to sing a new song. And this is a new song. It was a song, new, a new song in first Chronicles 16. When the ark's brought back, they sing a new song. But even throughout history, we've seen people that are songwriters that write for God's glory. Let me encourage you, even young people, or it doesn't matter if you're young or old, think about writing and singing songs that are new for Jesus, for God's glory. It's wonderful to sing new songs. It helps us to think anew of the truths of Scripture. It helps us to think about the doctrine that we're using. That doesn't mean we throw out the old songs, but we can sing them all. And some songs are going to be even generational, where one generational sings a song and it's something that is in our hearts. We know it and we love it. And the generations today should be writing songs. So let me encourage you. If you have musical ability and talent, think about writing new songs. Even if nobody else ever sings it, you could sing it to the Lord. You know, singing and worship is something that we should that should come naturally from our hearts when we're proud of something. This last week on Tuesday night, I got to go with my family and uh, sit outside and we watched something like maybe some of you did. We sat there and watched as it got dark, all these fireworks for the city of McAllen. We went over near the, the park in Bicentennial and we watched all these fireworks go off. And it was incredible. It was fun to be at a 4th of July fireworks show. And, you know, as the fireworks are going off and you see these things, the, the, just the explosions of these cool uh, things. And you're saying, oh, that one's my favorite. This was awesome. In the background, I'm hearing a lot of patriotic music, right? And as you hear that, there's certain songs that make me just want to sing. We're celebrating the freedom that we have in America. And part of that just makes me want to sing. Some of those songs I didn't know so, may not know so well. Others I want to sing out. And the people next to me want me to stop singing, possibly, because of, you know, just my voice. They like the song, not my, not my voice. But, you know, we're moved to sing and say thank you, even for our country, when we see that on 4th of July. But I hope that you're moved to sing and worship your king, that you're moved to sing and worship God. In fact, I want to encourage you and I hope that singing to God, it comes more naturally than even singing something about your country on the 4th of July. That's nice. But singing to the king of this universe, the creator of this earth, the one that redeems our soul is something that should flow naturally from our lives. Verse seven and eight. We see that we're not only supposed to sing, but actually the psalmist tells us that we should ascribe to the Lord. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the people. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord glory due His name. Bring an offering and come into His courts. And all this is under that idea of praising God over everything. We see this psalm time after time being told to praise God. When we hear the word ascribe, it really means give to the Lord or recognize God for who he is. All the families of the earth, everyone, it says, should recognize God and his strength. In in verse seven, it says one way to give God glory is to recognize or acknowledge his greatness. We recognize who he is and how 
how he, uh, the greatness of his, uh, of everything he's done, ascribe to him the glory and strength. You know, in a, in just a week, we'll see a baseball game called the All-Star Game. And those are the best players for the baseball teams for, uh, for the Major League Baseball this year. I always enjoy watching the Major League All-Star Game. The best of the best have been recognized by the fans and they get voted in, right? It's a recognition. This player has compl- accomplished something and we're recognizing what he's done so he gets to play in a special nationally te- televised game. It's an honor. This is what we're doing really to God. We recognize what God has done. He's done all these things. He's created the universe. He's made so many things for us to enjoy, but especially he's given Jesus Christ to us and we should recognize that's what ascribing is. We should ascribe to Jesus the recognition that he deserves. In verse eight, it says another way to give glory due his name. We ascribe the glory due his name. How? By bringing an offering and coming into his courts. When we bring an offering and especially in Israel, they were thinking of an offering or a sacrifice but also even money into the temple. But they would, they would recognize God by coming together into his courts as a people and singing and worshiping and actually offering and just being in his presence. Now, one of the ways we still do that, we can offer and give offering. We can give to the church. We can do those things. But we actually offer our devotion to God, our service to him. And even one of the ways that we come together, even corporately as a church, we worship together. And even as a church, we have church membership where we partner together and say, we want to, we want to partner together to follow Jesus together. We're going to help each other with that. We're going to keep accountable to each other. When we're one person struggling, we're going to help each other out. That's what we do. And it says, come together into his courts. And what's incredible is this God, this God, of all the universe that's created all things, he loves us so much that he tells us this word, come, come into his courts. And he draws us in. God is not a distant God that wants to hold us back with his hands away saying back. He's actually telling us to come in. As, as you might t- tell a dog when it comes in, you come into the house like I did from vacation after three weeks and my dog didn't see me. I'm, I'm excited to see him, but I'm like, hey, hey, get back just a second. Let me put my bags down. You're going crazy, right? That's not how I'm trying. Uh, God's not t- t- saying, hey, stand back. He tells us throughout the scripture, come to me, right? I set my dog, uh, my bags down and that dog's all over me. I sit down, let him lick you in the face and everything, right? whatever. Let him, you know, let him get it out of his system. God's telling us, come all the time, come into his presence. It's a beautiful picture of his love for us. When we love somebody, we want to spend time with them. And God loves us and asks us to come into his presence. The king of the world asks us to come in to his presence. He tells us in verse nine, more ways to praise and praise him. We worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. Tremble before him, all you earth. Say to the uh, say to the nations, the Lord reigns. Then j- jump down to verse 11. Let the heavens be glad. Let the earth rejoice. Let the sea roar. All that fills it. Let the earth, uh, fields exalt everything in it. Then shall all the trees of the forest sing for joy before the Lord, for he comes. Everyone and everything should worship the Lord. God is set apart. He's holy. He's separate. And we should marvel at his holiness. We should look and see 
This God is set apart from sin. We are beset and tempted by sin constantly, but we have a holy God. And then when we look at verse 11, when you see that, it's like a crescendo. A crescendo is when everything builds and gets louder. And this part of the psalm is like it's getting louder and it's saying not just the people singing, it's actually saying everything, saying the heavens and earth rejoice, the sea, the fields, the trees. And it was incredible as we're at camp and we're going to these places and and driving up this mountain and we see these trees that are super tall, like 40 feet high. I mean, the tallest tree I've ever seen is palm trees, right? And then we get out there and we see these trees that are these massive trees, whatever they are, some pine tree or oak trees or whatever it is, just huge. We see this, we, we go to South Padre or wherever it is, we see the ocean, these huge things that God creates. And we see these verses describing these things, saying the sea, the fields, the trees, the heavens, everything rejoices. Really what it describes, what it helps us understand is the magnificence and the broadness, the huge swath of what we should actually do in praising God. Everything should praise God. But what holds us back from praising God? What holds us back from worshiping Him? Maybe on a Sunday, we hold back from singing out. Maybe throughout the week, we just kind of forget about it. Sometimes it could be that maybe it's just unbelief. We don't actually believe God is worthy of worship. Maybe we've been hurt and we hold a grudge and say, God, how could you let this happen? And our theology and our understanding of God is a little bit messed up. We don't understand how great God is and that He's working things for His glory and for our good. Maybe it's a point where we actually are embarrassed. You know, if I worship God and people see me singing out with devotion to my king, they'll think I'm weird. If I'm in my co- with my co-workers and they hear me say, praise God or thank the Lord, glory be to his name, you'd be like, if I said that, they would think I'm some wacko radical. What the reality is, people should know as Christians that we are worshipers of God. We are people that want to give glory to God over all things. No other thing should be more important in our life than giving glory to God. And that means one of the chief ways we give glory to God is by proclaiming His greatness to other people. In fact, in this psalm, that's the second point we're going to see. People that want to praise God are going to, number two, they're going to proclaim God and His salvation. We don't just praise God. Number two, we proclaim God and His salvation. In verse 3 and 5 and 7 and 10, we're going to see this. But you know, when you're passionate about something, when you absolutely love something, you're going to talk about it. I mean, when you love your certain sports team and they just won the NBA championship or whatever, they'll talk about it. There was another youth pastor at camp there, and he's from Denver, and he had, they brought his youth group get down from camp. And guess what he was wearing almost every single day? Denver Nuggets, Right? They're the NBA champions. He wanted everybody to see it, wanted them to know it. You may talk about your favorite actor, actress, musician, or band. Talk about your favorite person when you're engaged and in love. The things that you love, the things that you want to worship, you talk about. In fact, some of the kids, maybe when they were at camp, they had some crush on somebody and they talked about it to their cabin. And then their cabin goes and spreads it throughout the camp. And then all of a sudden it's embarrassing because... Everybody knows who they love or like or whatever it may be. 
I'm not looking at anybody specifically. You talk about the things that you like. We proclaim how great they are. Israel had just gotten back the Ark of the Covenant, comes back to Jerusalem, the holy city there, and they wanted to proclaim not just to the city of Jerusalem, not just to the places just around them, Bethlehem. They wanted to proclaim, and it says it in this psalm, they wanted to proclaim to the nations how good God is. It says in verse 3, declare His glory where? Among the nations. His marvelous works among the peoples. For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. He's to be feared above all gods. All gods of the peoples are worthless idols, but God made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before Him. Strength and beauty are in His sanctuary. Tells us in verse 2 even, tell, the, tell of the salvation of God. When we think about how great God is and what He's done for us, it should move us to proclaim how great God is. Why? Because He's creator of all things, as it says in verse 4. He created all things. He's above all other gods, little g. They're powerless. God alone has the power to create. All other gods are worthless idols. And it's interesting, even if you had an ESV study Bible, I thought they made a good point in this, and it was interesting. The words God or Elohim, and worthless idols, or Elilim, sound like a play on words. And the ESV uh, study Bible mentioned it and says something like this. It's like in English if we said this. All these worthless idols, it, it would be like we said this. These mighty beings are mighty useless. And really, it's like that. The ESV is pointing that out and helping us see these gods and these idols, they really are worthless. There's no value the one God that has value is the God that gives us life through Jesus Christ. Only God, the God of the Word of God, is the one worthy of praise. Tell people about Him. And in verse 6, it tells of His splendor, His majesty, His strength, and His beauty in His sanctuary. God is worthy to be declared of how great He is. This describes the royal magnificent throne room. And our divine King, as I said, He invites us into His sanctuary. He invites us in to the most beautiful place. And we should want to tell others about it. Imagine if you would happen today to go home and receive a phone call or get a letter in the mail that says you've been invited to the White House for a private tour or to Buckingham Palace for your own personal tour. In fact, you're going to be escorted by the president or the king. And you might say, oh, I don't think I want to go there and be with that person or whatever. Hey, you know what you would do? You would actually talk to everybody about it and be like, I received an invitation. And I don't care who is in the White House or in the palace. I would want to go there. It doesn't matter who's there. I want to go on a tour and see the private tour and see everything backstage. And you know what you would do? You would tell everybody about it. Guess where I got invited? Guess where I'm going to get to go? That's what I would do. Buckingham Palace, seeing everything in the backstage, that's what I get to do. And what do we see here? In verse 6, splendor, majesty before Him, strength and beauty in His sanctuary. And He tells us, come in. He invites us in. What a beautiful, wonderful God. Don't you want to tell others about how good He is? Don't you want to tell others, tell the other nations or tell the people among the nations, as in verse 10, it says, say among the nations, the Lord reigns. 
The world is established. It shall never be moved. He's the judge. He ju- will judge the people with equity. Old Testament Israel is filled with God's desire for Israel to worship Him, but actually filled with all nations seeing His glory. We shouldn't look at the Old Testament and think God was just trying to write this for Israel. And then eventually in the New Testament, He figured He'd open it up. No, throughout the Old Testament, we see all the time God wanting to display His glory to the nations. And He says in verse 10 that all people should worship Him. Why? Because He reigns. He is the King. He is the One that rules. No government can stand before the God of this universe. If there was a one world government, we could not stand against God. But no nation even now, the United States, Mexico, Canada, Canada, Panama, China, Germany, England, Zimbabwe, India, Afghanistan, Indonesia, Pakistan, Brazil, Russia, or any other nation on the 235 nations list, when you look on info.org or worldmeters.info, none of those nations can stand against God. None of the nations in the past can stand against God. None of the nations in the future can stand against God. And when they do, they will be ruined. But you know what God tells us to do? Don't tell them that they'll just be destroyed. You need to actually tell them about Jesus and His goodness. Let the nations know that the Lord reigns. Our job is to go out and tell people that God reigns. You know, one thing that we've said before, and we, or we, we realize is this world is huge, with, or really populated. As of Thursday night at 5.17 p.m., the world had 8,042,811,415 people. And that's gone up since then. By 2037, the world is predicted to have 9 million people. Every one of those people God loves and wants us to tell of His glory. I cannot, myself, tell all 9 million people or 8 million people now about God's glory. Our job is to tell people that we have opportunity to tell about His glory and His greatness and about the salvation of Jesus and we get others to help us in that process. We plant more churches. We send out more missionaries. We send people to the nations. Not just the United States. Not just Mexico. Throughout the world. All of those 8 billion people and beyond should hear of Jesus. We want to see more worshipers. And you've heard this quote before, missions exist because worship doesn't. The reason we go out and we proclaim the glory of God is because there are lots of people in this world who don't know God and are not giving Him glory. And what we want to do is help other people see how good God is to trust Christ and to give Him glory and worship Him. As I say, in five days we step on a plane to go to Germany and we get to see people there Worship, uh, hopefully, see people that have never worshipped God before, learn about a God that created them and made them. And Lord willing, we'll see people turn and trust Him and become worshippers of Him. Oswald Smith said this, The church that does not evangelize will fossilize. The church that does not evangelize will fossilize. Become fossils and relics. We should be people that go out. For God's name, for His, the sake of His name. Let me ask, have you been giving the Word of God? Have you been giving glory to God to other people so that they can see it? Have you been going to the nations? 
You may say, well, I've never been out of the country. That's fine. Have you gone to the people in your neighborhood, your friends, your co-workers, the people that you interact with? Let them know who God is. Share Jesus with them. Why? Well, the last point we're going to look at is because we should prepare for God and His judgment over all things. We praise Him. We know who God is. So then we proclaim Him. And then the last point that we see in this passage, in this, in this psalm, is that we actually prepare for God and His judgment. It says in verse 10, we'll, we've looked at it before, but we'll look again in verse 10. It says, Let, say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Yes, the world is established. It shall never be moved. But listen, He will judge the people with equity. And in verse 13, it says this, Before the Lord, He comes. He comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the people in His faithfulness. We should understand that God is coming and He will judge. Jesus will come to judge all the world. Why is it so important to proclaim this? Well, because if you know you're going to be judged, that's hopefully something that you find out about. Just like now, if you said you had a court date, it would be nice to know about it. So that you would get a court date and understand it instead of missing the court date and getting judged for more things like whatever the crime was or whatever they're accusing you of and for missing your court date. You don't want to keep getting judged for those things. We want to know what's coming. They tell us God's coming. Jesus is coming. The creator of this earth. He made all things. He gets to set the standards. He sets the rules. And He gets to judge. But you know what? If you did stand on trial... If you were going before a judge, you would probably want a fair judge, a just judge. I mean, that is, unless you're guilty and you just wanted somebody that was unjust and would let you off with a bribe or would let you off by some good, good measure of their own will, you want a just judge, not an unjust judge. But a lot of people think that God's going to judge us and He's just going to be unjust in some sense because they're thinking... Maybe if I just give something to God, I pay a couple bucks in the offering every few months. Maybe if I just give him a couple of good things, you know, my life's been pretty good. If I give him that, he's going to let me off. But you know what? God is a just judge. He will judge with fairness, with equity. He will judge with righteousness. And that means he cannot pardon sin without a sacrifice. It says in Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So God has to judge sin. It says in Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. The payment for sin is death. So sin must be punished. And since God is a fair God, He's a just God, He's a righteous God, He will punish sin. He will judge with fairness and equity, with righteousness. But you know what? God isn't just a wonderful judge. He's a wonderful judge that gives us a way. In Romans 5, 6-9, through 9, it says this, While we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. That penalty that you owed was paid by Jesus. It says in verse 7 in Romans 5, For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would even dare to die. But God shows His love for us that in while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have been justified by His blood, much more shall we be saved from, uh, by Him from the wrath of God. Christ died for us so that we would be able to spend eternal time with Him. Remember in this passage, He tells us, come to Him. 
He wants us with him. God wants us to have a relationship with him. The only way we can do that is through Jesus. And if you've never trusted Christ, I'd encourage you to repent of your sin and say, I only have you, Jesus. Forgive me of my sin and may I have a relationship with you forever. You may think, well, God, is he really fair? I mean, he forgives these really wicked sinners and people that don't deserve to be forgiven. It seems like he forgives them. You know what? It's interesting. I have had conversation with a people, uh, a couple people recently, and they said, you know what? I think this person's not a Christian because they do these things. And then maybe they're not. I'm not sure. I said the, to them, and as you've probably heard before, the only person that you're going to be surprised at that's in heaven is you. Everybody else you're going to look at and you're not going to worry about. You're only going to be surprised that you're there. You're going to say, how are you so good to me, God, that you would let me, a sinner, because we know our own hearts. We know how wicked we are. We know how evil we, ha- we often are. And for God to forgive me is incredible. And what he does with everybody else, that's up to him. He's a good and just God. I'm going to leave that in his hands. But the fact that he would say, Jesus died for you so that you can be pardoned. All I can say is, amen. Thank you. And I worship him and say, let's go tell others about this good God. Jesus says this. I can do nothing on my own as I hear. I judge and my judgment is just because I seek not my own will, but of him who sent me. Jesus is that just judge. John 8.16 says, Even if I do judge, my judgment is true, for, I, for it is not I alone who judge, but I and the Father who sent me. Who better than to judge than God? And the fact that He knows me so well and knows all things, and that He would even forgive a sinner like me, is incredible. We are going to face judgment, but I'm so thankful that we have the ability to be found safe in the arms of Jesus and he says, come unto me. And we don't have to spend eternal damnation in hell. But we can spend eternity with him in that sanctuary where we're told is so beautiful and worthy of praise. We get to spend our eternity with the king, the one who created all things. Wouldn't you want to praise him for this? Wouldn't you want to proclaim this to the nations? Wouldn't you want to help prepare other people for what's coming? Let me ask you a couple questions and we'll finish with this. Is your life spent praising God, proclaiming His salvation or preparing for His coming? Are you doing those things? Or possibly is your life spent making your pocketbook fat, your bank account bigger, making your life as comfortable as possible, trying to make sure your pleasure and ease are at an all-time high? It's okay to have nice things, but they cannot be an idol over God. We should worship Him. Let me ask, are you raising your kids? And this is, a, this is a question for me as much as anybody. Are you raising your kids so that they will be ready to go into the world, wherever God calls them, to tell others about Christ's saving grace? It's easy to want the best and most wonderful life for our kids. But that's not necessarily what we should be doing. We should be spending our time preparing our children to go out to the world to tell others about God's greatness and His glory. And if God would call our children to the depths and the darkest places in the world 
so that they can proclaim the name of Christ to those people. Praise God. And if our lives are spent day after day in a place that's uncomfortable, doesn't have the modern conveniences, so be it. Go for the name of Jesus. Proclaim it to the nations. Do you want to see more people in this community become Christians? Are you making that happen? As I was driving in and thinking about this today, we have a huge... I mean, we drive through these different little fields and stuff, but there are so many people in our area. How are they hearing of Jesus? What are we doing to send the name of Jesus into their ears so that it can hit their ears and God can do a work in His heart, in their heart through the Holy Spirit and the Word of God that's inspired by Him so He can change them? May we be a church and a people that would say we want to see more people in this area, in Texas, Mexico, and beyond redeemed for the name of Jesus. Carl F. H. Henry said this, The gospel is only good news if it gets there in time. The gospel is always good news. There are people every day that dying that don't know Jesus that don't know of this psalm to give glory and sing praise to Him, may we be people that say we're going to give the Gospel and we're going to be in a hurry about it. We're going to tell people because it's urgent. Let's praise God. Let's proclaim God. And let's prepare people for God to be able to come into His presence. Let's pray. Lord, as we look through the Psalms, we see so many beautiful Psalms and verses. And in this Psalm of Psalm 96, we see incredible language here that tells us to praise You. And it gives us reasons to praise You. Lord, and it really gives us a purpose as well to go out and to proclaim Your glory among the nations. Lord, would You, as You've been so gracious to us, to turn us into worshipers of You instead of worshipers of ourselves. Lord, thank You for doing that, but as would You convict us and convince us that our jobs in this world is to help go out and see that there would be more worshipers, that there would be more people that would turn and follow You. Lord, You've blessed us so much by giving us Christ who died for us, ungodly, undeserving sinners, Lord, help us to tell others about Jesus. Lord, even as our team goes this next week to Germany to work with young kids and teenagers and families that have really, they don't know Christ. They may not even believe that there is a God. I pray that you would open hearts. Do a work in our hearts, the ones that are going, that you would help us to see the need to share the gospel throughout the world. Would you do a work in the people here that are staying, that are, that are praying? Would you work in their hearts so that they would see the need that the doors and the fields are open, not just in places on foreign countries, but Lord, they're right here in our backyard, that we would be able to see the need for people to come to Jesus here. Would you help us all to see the need for other people to worship you? And Lord, we look forward to that day that we get to say, as Revelation says, Worthy is the Lamb. You are worthy of praise. Thank you for giving us Jesus. Thank you for giving us the opportunity to worship the King. And it's in His name we pray. Amen.